1: Welcome to the Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round discipline decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests, subject matter experts so that you can tune in, get what you need to get, and continue on your journey. We are blessed to call ourselves Elk Hunters, Season 6, here we go. Elk Shea Podcast with me, Dan, the Fettest Man. What's up? Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a guest named Matthew Allwine. He goes by the handle at Archer. Uh, He is a little bit polarizing. I would even venture to call him maybe a troll on the interwebs a little bit, but he does back up his smack talk. He is probably one of the best guys I've ever seen shoot a bow and a rifle. He also competes at shooting rifles, and uh, he's got a long history of success in the mountains, and he's taking his boys hunting, He's got a little bit of a past that we'll bring up a little bit that some of you might know about, but we'll have, we'll address that. And then we'll also get to know his elk hunting story from 2022 and just get to know Matt better. I love Matt. I think he is a really solid dude, and I want you to get to know him. So without further ado, this is Matt Allwine, and you're listening to the Elk Shea Podcast. We are, we are sitting down. Literally, Matt is sitting down with me. He is Matthew Allwine. Some of you may know of him or maybe... You've been trolled by him on the internet, or uh, maybe you've seen him competing and shooting targets or taking his boys hunting. But I've known Matt for a long time. I've been begging him to come on the podcast. He's been apprehensive, but I got him to finally agree. Matt, welcome to the Oak Shea Podcast.
2: Oh, thanks, old buddy.
1: How, um, how are you, man? How's it going, 2023?
2: Good. I'm good. i uh, just actually getting ready for the first uh, rifle match of the year. Apparently, I don't have everything silenced on my laptop. Hopefully, you're not hearing that. We're oh, um, hearing
1: it. Thanks a lot.
2: Yeah. A lot. Well, I've, I don't know how to shut all these things off. Um, nope. Just getting ready for first rifle match in Arizona in a couple of days, so I've been working on some rifles stuff like that. But yeah, dealing with the snow other than that things are good
1: man it's a whole nother world so folks listening matt lives i can probably get to your house in maybe an hour if i put the pedal to the metal but you live north but you live in a whole nother world than me i'm in spokane you're up north there Chewila ish Uh, you guys have how much snow at your house right now
2: oh we had like six feet and then it started raining and now it's compact to like three feet of slush it's just it's just nasty it's been nasty
1: yeah man and we'll get into your background a little bit but you just posted the other day uh your best groups you've ever shot at a thousand explain that explain the details behind that
2: oh that i mean that group was just luck but you got to post the the cool lucky stuff but yeah it was like an inch and 1.2 inch just under that thousand yard group um Unfortunately, that rifle doesn't always do that though, because I've been shooting it tons since and I've had other good groups, but that it definitely wasn't a repeatable situation, but you know, it's something fun to flash on the Instagram. I see you. I see you.
1: Um, well, I guess we're going to, we'll start at the beginning. So I don't think I've actually met you till, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how long I've known you, but it feels like a long time, but I've known about you, um, as a guy who I'd see you at local 3d shoots with cutoff, t-shirt, protocol, Um and as a guy who didn't know you, watching you interact with the other shooters, I was like, this guy's winning, but man, he sure, like, doesn't look like he's, like, well, it looks like he's having a pretty good time and joking and laughing and poking at your friends, and I was like, how can you be not serious and win? So, I guess that's my first question, Matt. Are you ever serious?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes, but, but it would only be in the, uh, heat of competition. So unless you were in my, uh, like squad shooting or in my little group archery shooting at that shoot, no, not generally like afterwards when we're all hanging out, like, no, it's time to have fun. Guys that are so serious afterwards are what kill me at an archery shoot.
1: Well, how come you are not a professional archer? Um, because you pay, technically you're kind of a professional gun guy now, but like, why didn't you pursue archery? You're really good.
2: Uh, I'm probably not good enough. I don't know. I, I, uh, I liked I liked shooting archery, but not not like some guys do. Like, I don't have the commitment to. It. I did when I was young. When I was like 16, I shot my bow for hours every night. Like that's where my fundamentals came from. But I didn't have like. Later on, I didn't have that drive for it. Like, I it's fun to go compete, but I just didn't want to practice all day every day. Um, and I didn't love the – like, you go to these Northwest Mountain Challenges or, like, Brad Peterson does his top pin challenge. Like, those kind of shoots, I, I have a blast at those big 3D shoots. But you go to the, the IBO, ASA, it's a pretty stuffy kind of environment, maybe, so to speak. Um, you know, collared shirts, that kind of thing. And it just, I just – I just didn't love it. And so it kind of, yeah, it just didn't happen. I, I went to a couple um, like national matches when I was pretty young and I didn't even, I didn't do good. Cause there's just too much pressure after traveling and shooting in an environment I didn't know and stuff. And then you'd shoot against those same guys back at a shoot around here and I'd do great. Um, but I just didn't travel well. And, and my mindset wasn't that I, I could probably go shoot, um, like, big archery matches now and probably do better than I did when I was shooting a lot just because I have a better mindset competitively than I did when I was young and shooting archery all the time. Does that makes sense? Well,
1: yeah, no, I want to know when did you start kind of honing your mindset? We might save that question for after we get to know how you kind of... I mean, you still pick up a bow and go compete at locals and do extremely well. And that's, by the way, very annoying to me. But um, you... You gravitated towards um, this little tournament and shooting long-range rifles and started competing. And now I might be convinced that you're headed to going full-time that direction. How did that transition happen?
2: Uh, How did that happen? Oh, so I got to be John Pinch. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's an absolute stud. Um, He's about to finish his North American 29. He's killed everything. Uh and has won about every major rifle match out there. And I talked to him at one point, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, into coming to an archery shoot. And he came and did really well. I think he got like second or third in a bow hunter class and he'd never even been to one. And uh, he's like, All right, now you got to come to a rifle match. And so uh I did, I, I think it was like a year later, I finally he set me up with a gun and I went to one and and I did not do well. Uh, but I loved it. And I was like, all right, let's give this a go. And so within I think my sec second or third match I did really well at. Um yeah, it was yeah, I think I think my second match. And so I was like, all right, I could get into this and I don't know, it just sucked me in. It's fun.
1: Where are you at currently? Like you know, I know you're competing like you said in Arizona, but um what are these matches? What is it a league? I don't I know nothing, but I want to know stuff. So tell me like what are you doing?
2: So your two major shooting leagues are the um the PRS the precision rifle series and the NRL, the national rifle league, um, the PRS, they used to be very similar. Um, what we would call race gun in that you're going to have, um, your whatever six millimeter, six, five cream or whatever it is. Um, and you have your targets laid out. You have two minutes from 10 positions. You got to shoot 10 targets. Um, and you're going to do 10 of those a day for 20 for the weekend. So you have 20 stages and whoever hits most target wins. Um, the NRL has now morphed in what they call the NRL Hunter, which is more of a hunting scenario shooting, uh, which is the what I've really been chasing after. That's that's what I'm liking to do. But the way it's set up, you you come up on a stage and you're behind a barn or over a ridge, behind a rock outcropping, whatever and the RO, the range officer, he's going to tell you, Hey, we're going go around the corner. You're looking for four out targets. You have four minutes to find them, range them, figure out how you're going to shoot them and shoot them all. Uh, your time starts now. So you run up over the Ridge, you got your backpack, you got your gun, you throw everything down. You start ripping your backpack open, get your tripod out, your binos out. You got to find these targets, which can be a pretty broad spectrum that they're in give you like a left limiter right limiter and you just know they're in between them and so you got to find these targets and then engage these targets figure out the wind everything and it four minutes if if you run up over the hill boom you find your targets fast four minutes seems like forever but they make it as hard as they can to make it where you don't find the targets fast you know tuck behind a tree and a little rock outcropping whatever and so you know, you're two and a half, three minutes in, and you've only found three of the four, you start going into panic mode searching. Um, so it's it's just real high intensity, high pressure, um, making those decisions quick, decide, hey, and you can. So say you only find three of the four targets in this situation. You just engage those three, but you're giving up the points for that fourth one. So just kind of making the decisions on, And sometimes they may have one that's just not possible to find the sun's wrong. It's in a shadow, whatever. And just kind of knowing when to give up on one is a big part of it, but it's a, it's um, a really on your own shooting situation. It is only your skills. You've got no spotter. You've got no one helping you. Whereas in the, in the PRS, which has been around longer, um, all 10 of you are standing in a row watching each other. You watch how the guy in front of you Shoots it and it's kind of monkey see monkey do. Uh, hey, that worked really well for him that, you know You could tell that spot was really wobbly when he went to shoot off that bumper I better shoot off the hood, you know, or whatever it is And so you can learn a lot watching the guys in front of you. Whereas in this nrl hunter league There's none of that. You're figuring it out on your own on the fly
1: the, N- the nlr to me sounds I don't know. I would say like for content, which I haven't seen. Maybe i'm just not it's not in my algorithm but that would be dope to watch like cool reels and clips of guys like going around a rock. you got four minutes, pulling it up, making a wind reading, getting in your range and like the, like the backpack, the pressure, like, where do you find this content?
2: Um, there's a bit of it out there, but no one doing a good job of getting it out. Like, like because no one wants to watch all four minutes, which means you got to have someone with a camera filming the whole thing then you got to have someone that wants to go edit it and make it watchable you know click click boom um and and there isn't much of that out there we've john and i have kind of been trying to start uh filming each other that's the other thing that's tough because you're on your own it's not like you can film your buddy what they will let us do is once you've completed that stage you can hang there and watch the next guy come up and do it and so john and i have started to. We filmed a little bit, but more just showing other guys, hey, this is how you should do this. Not so much good content, um, which is something we've talked about. We've got we we need to start doing it, just promoting it, and it's growing fast. I mean, it. There are a lot of guys. There's probably I think they're doing 24 of these matches this year, and there'll be a couple hundred guys at each one. With, that's part of what makes it a little tougher. You can't you can't have a raffle event like like tack. You can't have 2000 guys out shooting. Like, I mean, I've seen that Northwest Mountain Challenges with 1000, 1500 people there. You ju- it's just not feasible. So, they cap it. I think about the most I've ever seen them let in a rifle match is like 220. Um, but depending on the venue a lot of times it's 150, 180 guys. It's all they can let in um just logistically.
1: Can you make a career out of this, Matt? I know that you don't you're not currently doing a career out of it. You have another you have a real job, but like Is there potential for you to do this full-time and chase this?
2: Um, I think there's, yeah, there are some guys, um, who are kind of in that they're, they're doing multiple things. They're shooting the PRS leagues. They're shooting the NRL Hunter league. Um, and then doing training and doing, um, you know, working for companies doing stuff, uh, product development like like that kind of stuff i think you can but right now no one's paying enough you're not winning enough shooting to similar to archery like there's a couple guys that maybe can make a living off winnings but there's like three of them you know right um but but there's guys that are shooting full-time pro and archery that are also you know running the shooting staff for gold tip and or whatever else you know what i mean um so i think there's that similar possible potential to get into it we're definitely i'm definitely pushing towards more career oriented stuff in the shooting world for sure
1: yeah i'd love to see you you know do that i'd love to see you not do your other gig which i don't even care to talk about i know what you do but it's like it's not that exciting but how how are you budgeting or managing your um let's be honest man because i'm going to get into your family um how do you manage all the travel and and having little boys and a wife and like like, what do you think? Like, how much are you going to be gone this year pursuing this?
2: Yeah, the other gig, job, whatever you want to call it. Like, that's what makes it feasible. Like, it's it's traveling, making money on the road, and then lots of time home. Um, No, it is tough. Um And I think that's something, Shannon, my wife, Shannon, that we – uh have talked about that a lot just in the last we've been working on just lots of things in our family just trying to improve things like it's tough when you're on the road all the time and so there's a lot of matches this year within driving distance of me there's there's one in Oregon a couple in Washington one in Montana and so we're gonna go load the whole family up and go to these like family style um two the ones we and we did that last year I think the family came to two or three of them but we're hoping to just get out there more together. And the boys love it. They're not old enough to compete yet, but they'll go just at the warmups and stuff, be shooting other guys' rifles. And some dude will hand my six-year-old his rifle and he'll outshoot him with it. And it's a real crowd pleaser.
1: All right, let's geek out on your setup. And let's just talk about your current setup for your next competition in Arizona. What are you bringing down there? Obviously you fly to, I would assume you'd fly to AZ. So that's hard, but what are you taking down there to compete with?
2: Uh, so my rifle, um, it's a 25 Creedmoor that I'm just, uh, it's a new one. I, I, It's the same thing I shot last year, but last year's had a lot of rounds down the barrel. So just putting a fresh barrel on, um, changing my chassis up and some things, but it's a 25 Creedmoor. Um, it weighs just under 16 pounds. There's a weight limit, um, in the hunting. There's a light division and a heavy division. I shoot the heavy division. Um, but the weight limit 16 pounds and that's everything on scope bipod, uh, just ready to rock. Uh, and so I'm shooting that at 25 cream or Leopold mark five scope on top. Um, and then in my pack, you know, I'll have my ammo. I'll have a, a tripod. I'm, um, I use funny shoot leopold everything but they um don't have a bino out with a ballistic calculator currently and you pretty much have to have that to compete so right now i'm shooting the zeiss um binos with ballistics and then i carry a uh backup range finder with ballistics also because if you don't get your range and data yeah. you're you're pretty much out and it's so fast you don't have you know a lot of guys long range hunting wise still are you know they'll range it and pull out their phone shooter app, whatever, type in the yardage and it gives them their their dope. And there's just no time for that, so you've pretty much got to have a binocular, something that's giving you that ballistic instantly.
1: Like what do you use to read the wind? I mean, I know you know how to read the wind pretty well, just visually watching other people shoot downrange, which was something looking back. And we'll get into my story of coming over to your house, but honestly, Matt, looking back at my day with you at your house. That was my biggest takeaway was you watching m- mirages a thousand yards away and telling me what to do which is like the one skill that I definitely still don't have and I'm like wow that was sick but like what do you use what do you use for like a castrol still
2: or what Yep yep so I got a castrol elite that stays on me constantly and I'm on that thing constantly so um between stages, so I might not know, I'm I'm about to come up on stage three, I'm going to run over the hill, got to find these targets. I don't know what direction they are. I don't know how far they are. I don't know any of this, but I can still pick up all the wind and barometric pressure, everything I can gather beforehand. So I'll just be sitting there with my Kessel and know, hey, there's a 12 mile an hour wind coming from South, Southeast or whatever it is. And then when I run up there and find those targets, I've got in my head, hey, that's a that's a 12 mile an hour from nine o'clock or that's a 12 mile an hour from three o'clock. Um, and I, I I know the numbers generally in my head enough um, that I can get a pretty educated guess because you're not going to have time to pull that out and put it in. But but so I'll have in my Kessel just, hey, assuming I think it's going to be a nine o'clock wind we're going to guess the target's going to be 600 yards and I'll just have that in there. And boom, uh, 10 mile an hour wind, 600 yards. I'm going to need to hold seven tenths left. Um, and then I get up there and I range it. It's actually 700 yards and it's not a full value win. So I'll go half, 10, but you just got to do some quick adjustment on the fly, but I am getting that initial reading whenever I can. And I the same thing. If I'm sitting on a ridge waiting for, a mule deer to come out or elk to come out after all the time, just, Hey, if something did come out, what would my wind hole be? And that's, I mean, I'm always working on that. Always thinking about the wind.
1: Um, what, what's the deal on the scoring system? Like, uh, is each target just a hit or no hit? Like you said, there might be four elk. If you walk around the rock, you got four elk, you got to locate them. Like how do they score it, man?
2: Uh, it's it, two points for a first round impact. One point for a second round impact. Um, And there's three. There's three essentially scenarios they run at you. One is four targets, and you can just essentially gauge them, engage them from any one position you want to. So you find the four of them, find a spot you're comfortable, shoot all four of them. The other two scenarios is a two target scenario that you have to shoot from two positions. So you boom boom target one and two, then you have to move, find your second position, boom boom shoot one and two again. The third scenario is one target so it's only one target out there you find it but they may have four positions marked out that you have to shoot it from and it may be top of a rock top of a stump crotch of a tree um whatever just a painted spot on the ground but they'll they'll put you in positions where then there's brush in your way so you can't lay down prone um or, or you got to shoot off a wobbly stick or whatever. So they're forcing you to make shots from, you're not just running up there laying on your belly and shoot prone. Very rare does that actually happen.
1: Uh, how? What's the weight of your pill you're shooting with that 25 Creed more? Like what's the velocity? Give us the data.
2: I'm shooting 135 grain bullet at 2850. Um, it's not... Yeah, it's it's not impressive by any means to the uh especially to the hunting community guys who all think they need to shoot a 200 grain bullet at 3,500 feet a second
1: yeah well we'll get into some of your hunting philosophies here especially in a second because I want to talk about you taking your boys hunting I came over to your house and here's how it worked out guys I was like basically hey Matt here's the deal uh I want I want to shoot the most sickest setup. I just basically want to write a check. I just want you to help me set it up and then I can just pull it out. And if I go wolf hunting this winter, which I plan on doing soon, I want to be able to shoot whatever. If I have, I just want to have a good chance of shooting whatever I see out to a thousand, even though where I go wolf hunting, I might not get that far of a shot, but, uh, you're like, I got a gun that I used to compete with. Would you be interested? I say, Yes. What did you sell me and, um, help me geek out on the specs on it. Cause I honestly, it's the most accurate thing I've ever shot. It's like a false prophecy. I mean, I literally have never missed any target I've ever shot at it ever.
2: You're shooting too big a target, Sen.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: I I had a guy on Instagram the other day tell me that he has 100% confidence in his rifle and shooting ability and he's never missed a target. And I told him he's shooting too big a target, Sen. And, I, he didn't appreciate that. At it didn't all, go well, did it? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, that was a six five Creedmoor. Um, really similar setup to what I'm shooting right now. Uh, and, and I think you ended up with, some of my leftover ammo that I was shooting in this NRL hunter because I'd set that up for this. So you're set up. I mean, different brand of chassis, different brand barrel, stuff like that. But really similar to what I'm shooting. And I think you're shooting 135 grain bullet out of that. Really similar yep. speed. Um, again, that's not Creedmoor's get made fun of so much on the internet. Um, usually by me, but uh, they just fun to fun at them. Uh, they're not ballistically superior to anything but they're just really they're just easy uh and they shoot good so why not
1: and i ended up doing like that uh the razor gen Two. so it's in mills do you are you moa or what do you compete with
2: no mill mills for everything yeah okay moa is what your grandpa shot and we should probably just leave it back there
1: shots fired folks what do y'all think about that i was counting on it well matt your boys how old are they
2: Yeah, well, boys are seven now. He just turned seven this fall and ten. And then we have two girls that are five and one.
1: Yeah, that's the spread I was talking about. Um, My son still talks about going swimming in your little lake there at your house, and he loved that. But your boys have killed some stuff, and my kids are getting up there in age now six and eight, and I'm not pressuring them. Like, I'm just kind of sitting on the sidelines, Matt. Like, I got them bows little like a well the genesis bows um my son tristan does shoot that quite often um and i don't have to like it's uninitiated it's like on his own it's kind of what i want um but the hunting hasn't i haven't had the request to go hunting yet but i'm kind of getting staged up and so i want to pick your brain you've you've done some cool stuff and your boys have actually killed some pretty amazing animals so kind of take us through that journey and like like how does it build up, and where are we at now? That kind of thing.
0: You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. We do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes.
2: it was same thing. I didn't want to pressure him. Um, and, and he wasn't overly into it early on. Um, but when he was, I think he was about six or seven, he kind of started, Hey dad, you know, I want to go hunt with you. And so I took him out on a couple, you know, easy things. And I was actually gone working. Um, and Shannon entered him in Hunter's safety when he was seven and he ended up passing that. And I, I, came home dad i can hunt now type thing you know and Dude, that's like
1: three years i thought i was kind of a stud at 10 uh seven tip my hat to that little kid that is impressive
2: yeah so he passed that and so he wanted to go out that fall and i was, we i was gone for the early rifle hunt came home for the late rifle hunt and we ended up out and about and we got on a good buck and he missed it. It was my, I didn't have a great setup. I thought I had a great setup for him, but it, it just didn't fit him as good as it should have. And anyways, long story short, the last day he ended up killing this big buck. Um, And I think how hard he had to work for it really got him hooked on it more. And so the next year he was just all in. And so that next year when he was eight, um, he killed a really nice buck opening day. It was like the easy, he just got super lucky on that one. Um, actually he, uh, I think he killed a bear that fall too. Um, and then I think, no, the next year, then when he was nine, he killed another nice buck. He, no smaller buck. He was on it. Um, he, he, I didn't want him to shoot it, but he wanted to shoot it. So I let him, I've, uh, had to let go of control on letting the boys make their own decisions on what they shoot, but he ended up killing a really nice elk that fall though, uh, which was just the epitome for him he was stoked and i had shot a bull like a week before just in this gnarly spot in the backcountry and he's like dad you knew i wanted to shoot an elk why didn't you let me shoot it type thing I'm like buddy you weren't get in there type and then we found an elk in an easy spot like two three days later whatever and he and he ended up killing it and he was just so excited um but he doesn't get that um he, he's just such a like kind of a quiet not crazy kid um just quiet reserve um and he likes it but he's not stupid about hunting where when we start talking about my younger boy um most people refer to him as feral and uh, i try to reel that in in some ways but i love it in other ways and he was all about hunting for i mean we're talking a nerf gun at too he's um. Oh, look at that deer over there. I'm going to shoot it with his Nerf gun. And he had a red rider by the time he was four and he was out just, I mean, he, he'd go missing, like sneak out of the house at four to go hunt with his red rider and was just murkin' critters. I mean, you know, like a cat that's just always bringing stuff back to your doorstep. That was yep. him at four with a red rider.
1: <laughs> no, I love that. That's so what, um, <laughs> I still I call it like, so Max, your oldest, I got a term for those people and they're usually really good archers. And I, and I call them like Joel Turner. I stole this from him, but slow blinkers, like I'll give an example, like, um, famous Cameron Haynes, you hang out with him in real life. He's a slow blinker. He, he's so reserved and chill and doesn't like, doesn't like you and I are pretty like high animated guys, high energy which surprises me why you're so good at shooting. But maybe, but I've met like Kyle Douglas, like dude is a slow blinker, just so chill. And those are the guys that you got to look out for. That those are your killers.
2: Yeah, I'm an anomaly in the shooting world. And, And I, and there's not anyone else really that I've met in a similarity where like it is, it's the slow blinkers that are good at it. just shooting sports in general any of it and and i am the i'm a i blink so freaking fast you don't even know i blink um and it doesn't make sense and if i knew why or how it's something we have me and like other guys i shoot with have talked about a lot um it it doesn't add up or make sense it's just how it happened i guess
1: yeah i would need some more chill in my life i'd probably be better at archery but um, tell me about your boys gun setup. Like you said, you kind of had the wrong setup for Max and then you switched him up. Like, so what should I be looking at to invest for my kiddos? Like just so that they have something that fits them and that they can kind of get the job done and not have too much heartbreak.
2: Yeah. Well, so part of the issue was with Max that first year, um, I just didn't like he went and kind of surprised Hunter Safety. Right in hunting season, and I just ha- didn't have time to get stuff, so it was just adapting what I had. That's one thing I really like about that six five we set up for you. um It's got adjustable buttstock; you can slide that thing short enough. It's gonna fit and be real comfortable. A six five Creedmoor with a muzzle brake on it. That, I mean, there's just very little recoil. It's gonna be easy to shoot, and they're gonna like it. um And so that's what my boys are shooting now. They're shooting six five PRCs, which have a little more snot behind them, but. Uh, not all that much more, you know? Um, but it, a lot of, it's just a chassis, you know, you can get these chassis now that are so adjustable and you can get the length of pull down to where it actually fits them. And that's so Mert, um, this was his first year. Uh, he passed his hundred safety at six. Uh, and when Good I just, God,
1: that is saying to me, wow, six years. Old. I mean, cause you got to pass a written dude.
2: Yeah. And we had, the. Uh, and he was begging a year before that to want to go take it. Um, and, but yeah, he, he passed that one on just a straight killing spree this year. Um, but yeah, we built him that little, uh, and he, and just to make my life more of a pain, he's left-handed. So it's not handing everything down from the older brother. It's getting new stuff. His first bow, I had to go find a left-handed bow. Um, actually, my wife says he's not left-handed, but he is left-eye dominant. And so exactly. get him on that right course so um so he's got that little 6.5 PRC um and it's he killed two bears with it this fall one at like 350 and one at I don't know 500 yards or something and then he shot a really nice bucket 150 yards um and just I mean just dropping stuff but he shoots he shoots so much like I'll be working on a match rifle or something and it doesn't even have to fit him I'll be and it can be high recoil he doesn't care um, but I'll be out shooting a match I feel like, yeah, let me shoot it. And I'll just let him shoot practice rounds for me at a thousand yards or whatever. And I, I've set up rifles for guys been working on them and sent them a video of him when he's five, shooting a tiny group at a thousand yards with it or something I'm like, Hey, you got no excuse with this rifle kid proved it could shoot. So he's like my little Guinea pig shooting.
1: Mm, that's cool. You know, FYI, I shot, I shot a bear this year with a rifle. It wasn't my rifle, but I ain't shot nothing with a gun since like 2001, not counting predators and whatever. And, um, yeah, my, I roll with my buddy from on X and get him on a a bear. And it's in this Canyon that I promised I would not take him, but we were desperate. It's a good Canyon. You know, you're going to find a bear, but you're going to don't do it. We did it. It was a breeding pair and, um, he shot the wrong bear. He shot the sow and the boar is just standing there like, get up. What are you doing? And she's dead as dead. And he's like, Hey, don't you have another uh, bear tag Don't you have a second bear tag? And I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, let's do a double. And I was like, no, no, let me, let me look, let me look inside. Let me just look at the scope. Let me just get it in there. So I lay down prone. I get in there and dude, I don't know what he did. That thing was rock steady. And I was like, Ah, I took it off safety, and I mean, I just—he had a hair trigger on there, and he didn't tell me. I should have assumed because all you guys do that, and boom, six and change. Dan just shot a bear, and I'm gonna here to tell you guys that that's that's not hard, and I'm not impressed with you rifle hunters who shoot that far at all. Now, if you bow hunted that bear and like drop down a thousand feet, cross the creek, relocate the bear, get the wind right, go through the cliffs. I'd be a little bit more impressed. And I just made everybody mad, but I'm,
2: I'm kind of joking. You sound like, like you sound like a real knuckle drager there. See, see the dude with his rifle put in plenty of work. He just did it beforehand, sure. figuring for out sure. how to make that any, any caveman could go crawl through the woods with a club and want <laughs> dinner to death. I tell
1: you um, all that. I was definitely joking, by the way, guys, like it was so cool. And I'm like, Oh, I just screwed myself. I was, I'm pretty addicted to that. And I want to do more of that, especially with my kids. And it's just so cool to like, like you said, put all this work in, have a weapon that's completely set up and then to be able to do all the skills of knowing the wind and reading the, the canyon and the pressure and the elevation. And then just, and you know, it was super special. So, um, more to come on that, man. I'm re- I'm pretty doped. Uh, what about those girls of yours? Are they showing any interest, especially that five-year-old? Um,
2: not overly, like a little bit. But she's she's pretty girly. She likes the pink stuff. Um, and so we'll see if she if she wants to. I'm all for it, but I'm not. Man, I it's hard for me to get to shoot anything myself as it is with two of them and a third one. You know, so if she wants to, she can. But otherwise you know, we'll see how it goes.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I feel that. And it's tough. Like as a parent, you just want to be like, you don't want to pressure them. Like you want them to pressure you and you're waiting for the, I'm still waiting, honestly, for my son to like, dude, let's go dad. So, I mean, I invite him a little bit like Turkey this spring. I'm like, Hey, do you want to go up here and chase these turkeys five minutes from the house? And he's just like, nah. And then, um, Finally, both my daughter and him one time were like, yeah, dad, let's go. And I was able to shoot a Tom right in front of both of them with a the shotgun to the face. And they thought that was so cool. So the the seed has been planted. You know what I mean? So it's cool. All right. So this is the part of the podcast I didn't tell you on the text chain, but I was like, I'm going to talk to Matt about a little bit about your history and we'll keep it sensible and we can avoid certain topics. But bottom line is, Matt, you've broken the law. And you've learned your lesson, but let's talk about it a little bit, like from the standpoint of what do you want to teach your kids going forward about understanding fish and game regulations? It's a hundred plus page book, you know, all that kind of stuff, be an example to them going forward. Cause that's ultimately what is the most important thing is that your kids, you want your kids to be twice the man that you are. At least that's what I want. So what kind of things have you taught your kids? What kind of things should we teach our kids?
2: Oh, boy, this is a fun can of worms you open here. So, yeah. I mean, we we can scratch over the Game war stuff. Yeah, I have not had um, pleasant interactions with Game Worms. Um, short of our one buddy, Sean Vincent, who comes and shoots archery shoots. Um, he's one oh, of the yeah. guys who's... Yep. Yep. And he quit being a game warden because uh, I don't think he could really stomach some of the stuff they were doing. Time out. I didn't know he was a
1: game warden. I thought he was law enforcement, like as in. OK, so he's currently a sheriff, right?
2: He's currently if he was a game warden for a long time. I didn't um, know that. OK. Yep. Yep. Anyway, so I you know, the guy who, the guy who came after me in Montana there, he told me. Like, I'm coming after you. I'm going to get you like with he didn't know. He had no idea that I was doing anything. It was just, I don't like you. I don't like what you're doing. I'm a find a way I'm a find where you mess up. And eventually he did. And and a lot of it was uh, just crap. Like I, if I, I would love to go back and do it over and waste a ton of money on big money attorneys and just do it differently and drag it to the courts. And I probably could have come out on top, but I was a poor broke kid. And it was just, Hey, whatever, let's move on, pay my fines type thing. Um, But that that's neither here nor there. Um, As far as with my boys, like we go over, like we talk about that a lot um, more so with my younger boy, my older boys and be like, dad, this isn't a, this isn't legal or dad, this is legal or dad. What time is it? When he shot his elk, we spotted it before legal shooting light. And we had my phone. He's laying prone on the rifle. We had my phone sitting there waiting for it to tick on the minute so he could shoot that bull. Um, and he knew we looked before we went out, like when was legal shooting because is in the snow and you could just see so early in the full moon. So you kind of had to be aware of it. Um, and so we, we do go over a lot of that stuff. I do want them to be better than I am. I was, but I also am not getting overly caught up in the, like, we're not reading the regs, all hundred pages, studying every T and every I like I'm te- like the major things yeah we're gonna be careful we're not gonna be shooting stuff out of season we're not shooting stuff at night we're not you know but if uh, there are so many guys, guys get so self-righteous with me uh, I, and that's where most of my piss and matches come from on the internet is oh you big poacher whatever this or that I'm like trust me you've broken game laws and I've had guys say, nope I've never broken a game law and I'm like, you've never gone hunting then, or you're a liar or an idiot. Those are the only three options. There's if you hunt. And back then we were filming shows and stuff where I was hunting 250 days a year. If you're out there that many days in 15 different states where the rules are different in every state, you're breaking some laws, whether you know it or not. It, it's like driving. If, if you drive all day, every day, you your traffic violations all over the place. It just is what it is. Um, and and not to, I'm not saying that to justify breaking game laws, but it it is almost impossible to know all the little tiny ones. And so they're young enough. I'm not getting caught up in, I don't even have a good example of some tiny thing we could be teaching them game law wise. But what is cool about hunting is, is the other stuff like you brought it up. So we're just going to go there. Um, the other stuff, like you get to teach your kids while you're out hunting, um, which Max and I were sitting waiting for a buck for days this late season. Um, and it just gives you such a chance to talk with them and just life lesson stuff. And so I, I do want them to be better than me, but like what we're, I'm not sitting there going over game laws. Like I'm like, talk to them, like Jesus loves you, buddy. Like, and this is why, and this is what you want to do with your life. And this is what you want to, how you want to act. And it was, we had a really cool situation where um, we're kind of having the sex talk because um, he's 10 and yeah. kids are just getting exposed to crap early in life now.
1: Do your kids go to public school, Matt?
2: No, they're private. And so um, homeschooled and then just like one day of Homelink type thing. But still, they're around other kids and they're getting exposed to this crap. And so we started talking about it. And and my wife's talked to him. she he, They're real close, him and my wife. And so she's convinced that any issues he would come to her with that, you know, and talk to her about these things. And so we are just talking about it. And so I was kind of like trying to talk about porn a little bit because kids are get exposed to porn, like the average age is seven or eight now. And so we're sitting in a blind talking about this. And I was just like, hey, you know, boys like to look at things they shouldn't like girls without clothes on, like you don't want to do that. And I just kind of opened up the door like, hey, you know, if you ever have a situation like that just talk to me about it. It's not a big deal. We'll talk about it, you know, move on. And so we just kind of sat there quietly for like five minutes. And then he was like, uh, dad, one time there was this magazine that came to this house and there was this lady in this, like, it was kind of like a bathing suit, but it wasn't, it was like a Victoria secret he'd seen when he's like seven and he remembers this and it's burned into his brain. And he's been feeling guilty about that for like two, three years. And I'm like, buddy, like, I'm glad you told me about that. It's okay. And like, we talked through it and stuff. And I told my wife about it later. And she's like, what, why wouldn't he have told me that? And I was like, cause you're his mom and it's just different. And like, so it's just such a cool environment. It creates being out there with your boys and being able to talk about that. And so like, I like where he went with the, um, game law stuff and like being better, but yeah, that's my goal. Like, I want my kids to be better, but being out there in the woods creates such a cool environment to talk to them about stuff. Um, and it just, man, I would challenge you guys to do that. Like that is your opportunity right there to talk to your boys for sure. And to be talking to your boys about that stuff. Cause it's just, man, I've been researching it and it is, it is awful. What kids are into. It's such a, from such a young age nowadays with the friggin' internet, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, whatever else kids have on their sm- smartphones running around it. Nine now, you know.
1: Oh, there's so much that my kids get exposed to, and I get—I'm pretty like—I just get angry about if, if they go upstairs and turn on YouTube. I mean, I get so mad at what the vortex gets sucked them into these rabbit holes, and I'm like, and they get exposed to language, and they just know so much more than I did at their age, and I imagine it's just a compounding thing, but. Listening to you talk from the heart about, you know, those, those situations where you can talk to your boy, Matt, like when I was, I don't know, I got my hunter safety when I was 10 and I, I trying to look back like, yeah, I really wanted to kill a buck. Like that's always been like my driver. But I think as I got older and I looked back, I was like just jonesing to have that one on one time. I had my dad all to myself and like all the little things like stopping at a store and getting some really cool snacks for our hunt, going to deer camp with all his friends and being one of the dudes, just all those little things that, that, uh, for me, I got exposed from like age 10 to about 13. And then I didn't go hunt because of sports. And so, you know, junior high, high school goes by and I haven't hunted and I get out of high school My dad did such a good job, whether he did it intentionally or not, where like the second I got out of high school and I had my first fall, I'm like, yeah, I don't have two a days. I don't need to play football. I just have college and a job. I got time to hunt. Dad, let's go hunting. And that's like, good job, dad. You set me up when I was age 10. Like you sacrificed a lot of your hunting time and I didn't have a lot of success. Killed a few bucks, you know, between 10 and 13. But boy, did you burn something into my being that I craved it the second I had the uh, schedule, the autonomy to go back to it, pretty cool stuff if you think about it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And and that's my dad wasn't um, wasn't overly into hunting, like, but he took me like I was so into it. I don't even know how I got hooked in it so young when my dad, but because I liked it, he took me. And yeah, and I remember that one on one time with my dad and just just talking about stuff, and it just everything's so fast paced. Now you don't have that downtime to have those conversations with your kids and kids are just turning into little shitheads nowadays because of it. So honey, just such a great opportunity to, um, to have that time to talk to them, to pull them aside. And you know, you're stuck in a blind or in the truck or whatever for eight, 10 hours, you got a captive audience with a little mushy brain that you can help form. <laughs> amen to that. Yeah.
1: Back to your like each state and their nuances. I got to tell you, like I hunted Arizona, New Mexico, Idaho, Montana, Washington. And that was a pretty chill year for me. I didn't travel that much, but that's still quite a few states where like, you know, Arizona, you can use, you can't use trail cameras now, but you could the year before, but you can use um, an electronic sight on your bow New Mexico, it's got a bunch of nuance rules there. And then Montana's very strict on their timetables for when you can shoot, can't shoot. Washington, you can use a bow during muzzle loader, but in Idaho, you can't use a bow during muzzle loader. I mean, it's like you gotta wear hunter orange in this state. You can't, you don't have to have hunter orange. That's up to you. Um, you gotta leave a pair of balls or proof of sex on this animal in this state, but in this state, you can't cross state lines unless you take the brain matter out. Like Dude, it's pretty like I'm not justifying breaking the law because I don't want anyone breaking a law. But you're I can't argue with your statement that if you like the knowledge you use, if you drive all day, like you're going to run a stop sign or you're going to roll through one or you're not going to turn your blinker on or you're going to speed um, not intentionally. Same with hunting. You do your best. But at the end of the day, watch out when you pick up that stone to throw at someone because that glass house we all live in
2: yep that and that's all i was saying like again not not justifying anything or saying once you do anything but these guys out here hucking stones uh and there's a lot of them and, and they think they're so high and mighty and i'm like well you're either not hunting very much then or you just don't have any idea how the real world works
1: no so what's your goal for 2023 when it comes to competition like you don't have to advertise like but Where are you going with this? I know you're pretty driven, dude. Like I know that that's undeniable. You do have a lot of drive. Um, You're very competitive. What would you like to see?
2: Uh, So I pretty much have two goals for this year. So um, last year I competed in in the precision rifle series. I competed in the production division. I'm shooting for Savage. Um, And I won that, the national overall championship for that last year. And I want to do that again this year. And then in the NRL Hunter, I won the national open heavy division the last two years. I went last year and the year before. And I and I want to 3 that. I, I I want it bad. Um it is it feels daunting like statistically, just like so much can go wrong at shoes. There's so many guys out there good at shooting, like everything has to go right. But I'm just gonna go for it and hope for the best. But that I'm I kind of I told someone the other day, I was like, man, if I was able to win again this year and have the three in a row, I should probably just retire after that because it's just not going to get much better than that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go after it hard. Uh, as far as those matches go. Um, and you don't, it's tough because you you don't have to shoot a lot of them. It's not like um, it's, it's in the PRS, it's your best three scores of the year. You take into the championship at the end of the year. Um, in the NRL hunter, you just go if you get the championship to the invite, everyone has a clean slate and it is what it is.
1: Oh, um, I like that. Kind of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But it's I can go win every single match of the season and then lose the championship. Um, and so it it puts a lot of pressure on that one match at the end of the year for sure. Um, but just, you know, try to get a couple wins under my belt in the meantime. Um that there there's not that many guys out there that have won a, like a nationally national platform, two-day matches. Um, And so just being on that list of guys and staying on that list of guys is kind of the, kind of the goal. Um, And it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. though. (laughs) It's, it's, I don't love the pressure of it. I, I love it when I'm competing, but I don't love it when I'm at home working on my rifle, just geeking out, being paranoid on, how it shoots type thing.
1: Yeah, but that paranoia for you when it comes to that is the same paranoia I have with why I have a t-shirt that says always be tinkering. A lot of guys would be like, you know, once you get it set up, don't tinker anymore. You don't need to. And I'm like, man, look, I'm looking for perfection in a thing that is impossible to perfect. I'm going to keep making tinks. Um, And I love that component of what you're doing. You know, you'll never have Like you said, with that one gun, like you put too many rounds through a barrel, you kind of have to start over a little bit and, uh, and it's a lot of fine tuning. Here's the last thing I want to talk about in this podcast. And I saved it for the last, I got to hear your 2022 archery elk story. Here's all I can, here's all I know. So in September, I don't check Instagram very much at all. It's why I love September, but I did see somewhere you posted either a story or whatever, but I saw something like 20 something miles the day you killed your bull. And I'm like, okay, we're talking about it. So save the best for last. I'll break it down. You're the day you killed your bull archery. I believe you're in Idaho or whatever. Don't care, but let's hear it.
2: Oh, I got, I got to give you a a back on the backstory on it. Not just the day of, but I, uh, the elk tag, it was Idaho elk tag. I ended up with, I didn't know the area. Um, Couple buddies really put me in the right direction. I had a mule deer tag and an elk tag, and uh, I talked to Ryan Avery a lot and my buddy Nick Schmidt um, from Oregon, and they kind of pointed me in a direction, decided the spot I wanted to go into. I was looking for mule deer, I i love the idea of mule deer. Um, yeah, I can't seem to kill them lately, but I love the idea of them, and so I was headed in. It was like oh, I think seven and no, eight eight plus miles in and a couple thousand feet up where I was going to spike camp um to go look for mule deer it was, it was just over 10,000 feet and they were like well you're probably gonna see some elk in there I'm like yeah I'm not I'm not gonna be interested in elk except by myself that far in and it was warm you know all like it was like 70 some degrees you know early September and so I'm up in there looking for mule deer did not find any and I think it was my second day in there, I spotted this bull and he was just a tank. And I was like, crap, I'm going to have to try and kill that bull. But I don't, I had no idea how I would get him out of there by myself. I'm not, I'm not Cameron Haynes. Like I'm not knuckle dragger like you boys. I'm not in that good of shape. Um, and so I got on my in reach and I texted two different buddies. was like, Hey, could you, could you get up here if I happen to get this bull down? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I started going after him. Um, and I'd only taken food for three days. So it was just going to kind of be a little spike out trip, you know? And so instantly I kind of started rationing my food. Um, I almost killed him on the third day. I had him close. Um, he came running by me, chasing his cows. I hit full draw type thing. Um, and he was just under this lip of this ridge where I just couldn't, I could just see his antlers go by, I couldn't get a shot. And so the next, I think I bumped him a little that day, didn't find him the next day. The fifth day I couldn't find him. On the fifth day, I was like out of food. I I killed two grouse with a rock and <laughs> ate the grouse. Like I was, I was like scavenging up here on the top of this mountain, eating berries and stuff. And so I got my buddy Grant, who uh lived a couple hours from where I was. I messed him like, dude, what are you doing this weekend? He's nothing. I was like, You want to come uh El Cut with me? He's like, Yeah, where he at? And I was like, Well, bring a backpack of food and here's a (laughs) pin. It was like this. (laughs) Yeah, because I was staying until this sucker was dead. And so he like the sixth day he came in, um, food and he stayed with me. Um and he saw the bull with me the sixth day and he's like, holy crap, like I get why you're in here now um And so we, and then it disappeared. Um, and we chased. We, we went drainage after drainage, looking for him um, for like three days. Didn't find him any sign of it. And the tenth morning, we we're just we were just dead. Um, and I I got up. I was like, you stay in bed, dude. Like type thing. And I went just over the ridge from where our camp was, and looked where I'd seen him the the first time I'd seen him. And here he came chasing a cow. And I ended up getting in front of him, um, kind of, he came into this little opening, gave him one bu- one bugle. He stepped out, I get a shot and I, I stuck it. I actually ended up putting two arrows in him. Um, but it was, it was gnarly spot. And so I messaged him on the injury. I was like, Hey, meet me here. Um, the problem was we're, we're hunting this kind of real steep Ridge and the truck is nine miles from here back the one way a couple thousand feet down but we're up over a thousand plus feet down the other side well there was a trailhead out that side also and i think it was eight or nine miles out that way but at least it was all down and so he met me at the bull uh we got it all quartered up hanging in meat bags and i told him i said you start shuttling there was a creek down at a main trail below i said if you'll start shuttling meat I'll go back up, get both of our camps, take them to the truck, go back around, come in and meet you. Meanwhile, um, we text a buddy um, and he was going to come on his dirt bike and help us, uh, my buddy Dalton. Um, And so I went around, got out. When I got to the other trailhead, it took a long time. I probably had 120 pounds with both our camps going out like eight, nine miles, whatever that was. And then... I got to the other trailhead and Dalton was there and I could tell he'd unload his dirt bike. And I was like, oh yes, it's gonna be easy. So I start hiking in and I get I think two miles in, and there's his dirt bike park. Something I it had overheated. It was just the trail was just too much for it. Like it was a yep. gnarly. And so I end up finally getting to where Grant was with the meat. Um, grab load, headed out with it. They each grabbed a load. Um Dalton ended up doing two trips in and out there. But yeah, it
1: I, how long did it take you to drive? So you take 120 pounds, eight miles down to the truck. Now you got to go around the range. How long did it take you to get around in your truck too?
2: Uh, probably it was like an hour around it. It wasn't real far, but just bumpy, bumpy, you know? Um, and then headed back in and I was dead headed in. And then when I got in there, um, Grant still had one load back up at the kill site and it was a light one. It was like a head in my bow type thing or something. And, um, there was a head that meatloaf. it was probably, I think I weighed, it was like one thirty or something. Um, and I took that out that, I think it was seven miles from that point back out. And I mean, I was, I was limping by the time we're back at that truck with that last load, but yeah, it was like 27, 28 miles total that day more than half of it with weight it and Ooh. I had been I had been working on getting in shape a bit luckily because I knew where I was going in um but it was yeah it was brutal it was it, I was hurting for my knees probably hurt for two months after that <laughs> it was one of those packouts that took years off your life
1: <laughs> I know but, about it, those. but that was
2: with two dudes coming and helping me like there's no way I could have got that meat out Without it spoiling him by myself, which is why I was not originally going to kill an elk up there. But he was almost a 350 bull; like he was a not, he was a big bull. There, were, I couldn't not. I got sucked in by those beautiful, beautiful antlers.
1: Yeah, he had. Uh, I just pulled the picture up because I wanted to refresh my memory. He's got great main beams and giant force. Um, okay, so you're using the quivalizer,
2: and what bow is this? As a Darton Tempest, like their longer target. I mean, I've always been a target bow guy. I, I go hunting with yeah. the head of target bows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you've got a long draw length. Oh, um, do you use a hinge or a thumb? What do you use for a release?
2: Thumb. I've shot the same Carter just because for about 15 years. <laughs> exactly. What is that? An option site? I don't even know. I broke my site last summer and that was something they sold me at Sportsman's warehouse because I just needed something quick.
1: That sounds like you, honestly. Um, Yeah, dude, that's a gorgeous bull. And honestly, you got some really good friends. So do I. Like, I had help with two bulls this year. And without those guys, I'd be screwed. You know what I mean? It's just like, I I owe some people. You know what I mean? I I owe some people. And I will. I'll pay up if they they need it. They reach out. That's cool. Um, Solo elk hunting.
2: The beauty of that was I sent... um Like a week later, I sent Grant into a spot that that I'd been scouting for mule deer and he killed his first buck with a bow in there and he was just stoked. And I think it was three days after I killed my bull, Dalton called me and this was probably where he was hunting, like four hours from my house, maybe, called me, he's like, dude, I shot a bull, I can't find it. And I was like, I'll be there in the morning. And we went and we searched half the day couldn't find any more blood couldn't find anything i was like dude i, I don't know what to tell you. you we're not there's nothing else we can do we've grid searched. we've done everything and so he's like all right well i'll hike this trail back to this truck and i was like all right i'll hike this trail back to the truck walk 20 feet through this brush and there's a bull laying dead and i i, no. hauled, and I was like i found your bullet he's like don't screw with me and he comes running over and it's laying there i fluke deal just didn't bleed fell in a hole type thing and uh yeah, so I uh I repay he's like, dude, completely repaid. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I got that one in quick.
1: <laughs> Love that. That's a happy ending, man. And we all know that feeling when you can't find it and you're like thinking worst case scenario, and then you do, and that's
2: nice six point he could in North Idaho you know he he'd worked hard for it and it was he was sick about it and I would I was so excited to be there to help him find that thing even though I was hurting I had to drive down there my knees were still killing me but yeah it was awesome
1: mm, that's cool well dude thanks for making time for this podcast guys I have literally pestered Matt potentially a year and a half to come on here and uh I'm glad you did you didn't disappoint um that's a hell of an elk story man I mean that's I was going to ask, that's what I was going to ask you was like solo elk hunting and those tactics, like in a herd bull that's in that 340, 350 class with cows, how many cows did he have? And then ultimately what sealed the deal for you hunting by yourself? And I'm, I'm imagining you probably didn't call you just ambush, but tell me what you did to kill that bull.
2: Yeah, it was, I, it was fairly kind of broke open country. Like there were big timber pockets, but then open stuff. And I just hundred percent visually hunted him. Like and I watched there was a spot they were going down to water. Um, and I just was trying to ambush him there or catch him coming up in the morning to where they were betting. Um I actually I passed on about the fifth day, I passed a really nice six point that anywhere else I would have shot had I not been chasing this bull. And he just I was just midday and I was sitting that water fixing light. And here he just comes trotting in. I thought it was the bull I was after at first. I was like, Oh, this is too easy. And it wasn't him. But yeah, he probably had 30. Well, he initially had like 35, 40 cows. The day I killed him. I don't know what had happened. But he was only with like five. Um, and that's why I was able to kind of slip around on him. Those cows just kept making it impossible for me he bed in the middle of them and and not a tight middle like they'd be have a whole hillside covered spread out a couple hundred yards and he'd be right in the middle of them day after day and, and I just sat back and watched I, I think the first couple of days I hardly even thought of making a move on him I just watched him trying to learn what he was doing because there was you know you can you can think you're Jason Phelps and start throwing some bugles at him but he's not coming out of there um hell no he ain't coming not for me at least not for me either
1: ever really um I had a bull like that this year that I I wasted so much time on not waste but I just dedicated my five straight days on him and if I was a better hunter I would have killed him but I'm still working on my game and dude he his cow fluctuation blew my mind first off they stayed in the open majority of the time like we're talking sagebrush flats like they'd stay in the wide open they'd wait super late to go bed because i think they were just waiting for the prevailing wind to switch so they'd stay out there and tease you for, till 10 and then his cow fluctuation man I, anywhere between six to ten and then it's like it just kept building and by the by the time i like folded my cards on him he had 54 or 55 cows and casts and i'm just like dan unless you want to like go get a tree stand and put it up in this bedroom. You're not killing this bull walk away. But yeah, that's really impressive, man, to get that bull on the ground that you did the way you did. Um, It's funny you say
2: that I was dying wishing I had a tree stand up in there. Like I had this tree picked out and I was like, I could kill him if I could get up in that tree. The problem was they were so they go up this lit same little drainage but the win they had to the win in their favor always. And he and I couldn't slip up behind him because he always had so many cows behind him. And I was like, if I could get 50 feet up in that fur right there, I could get my wind above him and kill him. And but there was no taking a tree stand into that spot.
1: <laughs> no, no way. Will you go back for more suffering?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I already uh I went and waited in line December first. I got the same tag again. I'll be back for more suffering. <laughs>
1: Frick yeah, dude. Uh, we'll see what that six point looks like this next year, the one you passed. Maybe he'll be taking over the show. So check out Matt on Instagram. It is at all wine Archer. Holy smokes. He's got 20K followers. So add to that. And um, he's a fun follow, by the way. I would not minus the stuff that you make fun of one of my partners. I'm not going to say that their name and you're not going to. We're going to keep this civil. But give Matt a follow. He is a fun. I give troll. a shout
2: out to my sponsors instead, and just not mention your. No, I'm just I'm playing.
1: <laughs> yeah, Matt, appreciate your time. Always good talking to you, man. I got nothing but love for you, and I respect your game, uh, mainly your family game. That's really cool what you're doing, and best of luck in 23, man. I can't wait to follow along.
2: I appreciate it. It's always good talking to you. You're kind of hard to get hold of sometimes. I've been trying to do a podcast with you for like a year and a half. You know, you're just always too busy.
1: Whatever, dude. All right, guys. You heard it here first. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Elk Shape podcast. We appreciate your support. We know you have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. So thanks for choosing ours. We hope you learned something. We hope you leave inspired, motivated, excited, and more determined to chase your goals in 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Numa Outdoors. We do have a discount code. It's Elkshape20. It takes 20% off your purchase. Vortex Optics, we have two discount codes. The first one being for eurooptic.com. If you're in the market for a rangefinder, binos, spotter from Vortex, enter the discount code ELK10, and it'll take 10% off. Also, Vortex, where... A lot of the stuff I wear around the house is Vortex wear, and why wouldn't you? The discount code is Elkshape, takes 20% off Vortex wear. OnX Hunt, become an elite member, especially with application season. You want to have access to Hunt Reminder so you don't miss a draw deadline, as well as Top rut, so you can get accurate, up-to-date draw odds, plus study your maps all in one. Discount code Elkshape, takes 20% off elite memberships. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, USA, shooting the phase four, 29, and 33, leaning towards the 29 for elk season just because it's a little more compact, and they just nailed it out of the park park they continue to make these teeny tiny incremental adjustments to these bows and they're more streamlined and quieter and dead in the hand. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. These guys make the knife that we give to Spirit of Elk Shape Camp Award. Plus I run their Skinners and all sorts of knives in my backpack kill kit. I don't use like a Havalon anymore. Not after I about cut my hand off with one. So please consider going to a fixed knife. Why not Buck Knives? They've been in business since 1902. MagView Digiscoping. This is the magnet. So it slaps on the back of your phone and you can digiscope through your spotter or binos. discount code Elkshape takes 10% off. This is super slick. You don't need a phone case. Check out MagView, link in the show notes. I've been running Kufaru since 2019. I've never looked back. I've tried a lot of different backpacks. There is not a better frame on the market than Kufaru. So check them out. I do think the Hoodlum is probably the best bag for elk hunting because you can go day hunt or multiple nights. Get a spy camp bag. Also, check out their Kufaru hip quiver. I use that a lot for shooting in the backyard. Kifaru International now. They're out of Wyoming, made in the USA. Crispy boots. I'm rocking the Colorado twos and the Laponia twos. Those are my go-tos, and I always put sheep feet in my boots. I take out the insole. Sheep feet, I have a discount code. It is elk shape. It takes 10% off, and that is a solid investment for custom orthotics that will keep your feet happier, and happy feet means that you're going to get into more elk. Wilderness athlete. Super Clean brand. I take a multi fish oil midnight build. I take their protein. I take their brute strength post workout, and I think they make super clean products. We have a discount code. It is still ElkShape22 for the time being. Check the show notes to see any changes to that. 30% off your first purchase. Discount code ElkShape22. Wilderness Athlete, a supplement company, not a marketing company. Choke cameras are just something that I find to be super valuable to not only hunting white tails but elk, bears. Pretty much anywhere I can use a trail camera legally, I'm going to, whether it be an actual regular old trail camera or cellular. I do think SpyPoint kind of specializes in the cellular, specifically the flex with the dual SIM. So you got an AT&T and a Verizon SIM card in one trail camera. Battery life is amazing. It's a free little app you download on your phone. Your images get transmissions. If you're getting a ton of transmissions, you have to upgrade to, you know, different tiered system, but it is super cheap and their cameras are very affordable. They work really well for me, so check out SlidePoint. Another dope brand made in the USA is Marsupial. They make the best vinyl harness out there, period. I've tried so many and the Marsupial is in a league of its own. Uh, you can also customize it to whatever binos that you're rocking. Check out Marsupial's website to learn more. This is made in America. And this is something that I find to be overlooked in a lot of instances. So check out Marsupial's bino harness. They have some other bow cases, hand warmers, gun cases, and again, made in the USA. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Coffee is life. And I love this brand. I love what they stand for. They're pro-American, pro-2A. They make really good coffee. You can have coffee delivered to your door and you can have it in a cadence that suits how much coffee you drink. Make sure you try the Just Black. That's probably my ultimate favorite. Flying elk is number two, but try them all. See which ones you dig and support BRCC. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. We'll take 15% off. Baku e-bikes out of Ogden, Utah. E-bikes for me is more of a lifestyle. Like um, My wife has one. I have one. Date nights a lot of times it's just an e-bike ride up a mountain, watch a sunset, maybe have an adult beverage. But also I use them for whitetail hunting, getting in and out of tree stands or checking trail cameras. Uh, maybe some spring bear hunting and logging roads and a little bit of elk hunting, but the bottom line is, we're legal. They're awesome. They have class one, two, or three options. The <laughs> in one bike itself. I recommend the Mule, get a thousand water and discount code Elkshape will take $300 off that investment. Last but not least, blackolvis.com. That's where I get all my gear and I use my own discount code. It is Elkshape. It'll take 10% off free shipping and world-class customer service. Rep Fitness is the workout gear that I utilize in my gym. I do have an affiliate link. I don't have a discount code for them, but they are more affordable than other brands and free shipping. And believe me, when you're shipping workout gear, you're going to want free shipping because freight will kill you. So check out Rep Fitness. They're out of Denver, Colorado. Crossover Symmetry for the shoulders. Discount code Elk Shape will take 20% off. Get the hip halo band as well as the shoulder kit. Get all of it and do your prehab so you don't have to do rehab. Alien gear holsters, I have a link in the show notes. You can enter the discount code Elk Shape10 to get 10% off any holster. Guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the companies that support us. We'll catch you on the next one.